young boy in church that would ask his dad when the preacher would take off his wristwatch and lay it up there. He said, Dad, what does that mean when he takes off his watch? And the dad would say, not a thing, son, not a thing. <laughs> so uh, this is for me to kind of uh, maybe help stay on target here for the remainder of the afternoon till sunsets. <laughs> so uh, we're here today in a holy convocation as God has commanded us. And there are a number of reasons why that is so. Now, I'm going to do something a little different today than in past messages, normally reading a scripture, expounding it, and explaining it, but today I'm going to read a couple of scripture portions at the beginning, have some points that I'm going to cover during the interim, and a reading, uh, Barnabas Grayson is going to do some reading for us, and then a couple of scripture portions at the end of the message. So, I'd like you to pay attention and think logically as we go through here and as we expound some of these thoughts today. The first scripture portion that I'm going to read is in uh, Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, verse 5 through 8. In the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. And... At the fifteenth day of the same month in the, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have an holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. But you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is an holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. And then I'd like to read in Deuteronomy, the 16th chapter, a couple of, uh, a few verses here, Deuteronomy 16. First verse, observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover unto the Lord your God, for in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you forth out of Egypt by night. And verse 3 and 4, you shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction. For you came forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you mayest remember the day when you came forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And there shall be no leavened bread seen with you in all thy coasts seven days. Neither shall there anything of the flesh which you sacrificed the first day at even remain all night until the morning. little confusion there, but to burn the Passover remainder before the uh, seven days of unleavened bread. Now, I'm going to go through some points. Uh, we've just set the stage for the seventh day of unleavened bread, and that's what we're going to discuss today. Our focus is on that, but we're going to leave that for a little bit and come back because of the relationship between Passover, the days of unleavened bread, the rest of the holy days, stretching throughout the year, through many of the wilderness experiences uh, that we uh, see recorded in many chapters of the book. There's a relationship, but our focus today is on the seventh day of unleavened bread, this holy day today. 
Now, we have spiritual significance from physical acts. We have metaphors, types, analogies, and comparisons. So we take physical things and we learn spiritual lessons from that. We take Old Testament experiences and learn, if we can say, New Testament Christian experiences and applications in our life from those lessons. Another point is, we see a lot of phrases as we refer back to those days of the Exodus. Phrases like departing, going out, thrust out, out of Egypt, I brought you out, the Exodus from the Greek Septuagint. And these are a type of leaving, of growing, of overcoming, of advancing as they left Egypt, a type of sin, advancing toward the promised land. And so we have parallel examples as Christians we learn we're growing, we're advancing, we're overcoming, we're headed toward the kingdom of God, and we're leaving behind sin, physical Egypt, and those illustrations. Now, we understand the significance and importance of leavening, of unleavened bread, and the significance of the two and what they mean. We know the scriptures portray leavening in a negative sense, as uh, Jesus referred to it as false doctrine and false teachings of religious leaders. We know that it's listed in uh, 1 Corinthians by Paul as the leaven of malice and of wickedness. And so we put leaven out and take on the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now I'm not going to talk a lot about Jesus, the bread of life, and how he was unleavened and how he was pure and sinless. We know that from many other studies and messages. But we understand the significance of this seventh day of unleavened bread. And we'll get to the importance of seven and the number of God's significance there. Now, as we look back and we remember, as Wynn mentioned earlier, uh, 600,000 men left Egypt, plus women and children. That's two to three million people, maybe, if you count three people per uh, household. And, you know, back then they probably had a bunch of kids. And uh, so there was a minimum of a one and a half to two million people. And as, Lynn, as uh, Wynn mentioned, when they were coming out of Egypt with their vast herds of cattle and goats and flocks of, cheap, of sheep, not sheep, sheep, and uh, miscellaneous other farm animals that they had, chickens maybe, a rooster crowing or something, uh, or some of their, uh, well, they had maybe in the wilderness some doves and pigeons and things, but they might have had some coops that they took some of those barnyard creatures with them. So there was a vast entourage that left Egypt. And you've got to think about, there wasn't a McDonald's or a quick trip you run in and use a restroom. They had to dig latrines. They had to worry about food and water and uh, things for their herds and their animals. And you know, if they ate up all of those uh, vast herds, there wouldn't have been very many cows or sheep left for later in the second year when they set up the tabernacle service and had the tabernacle and offerings and sacrifices for 38 more years. So this little uh, portrayal that we saw this morning, uh, that took place in the second year as they left Egypt. Now, this all has to do, this presentation, the discussion, the reading, our thoughts, the expansion, have to do with these 
seven days of unleavened bread. And why we're here on the seventh day, the last day of unleavened bread. Now, there are weeks. We keep mentioning seven days of unleavened bread. Now, let me uh, say, you know, it was interesting this year, and I don't recall maybe, and I didn't check, uh, maybe some of you have checked, but it was interesting this year, the fourth month, paralleling the dates of the first month of the sacred year, like the 14th, we completed the 13th, the 14th was Passover, the 15th was the first day of unleavened bread, the 21st today is the seventh day of unleavened bread. So we have a parallel of the dates, but not the days, because the days were a little different than the week cycle and the Passover week and the Exodus week. The Exodus in 1491, 40 years to 1451 when they went into the promised land, those days of the week parallel the same 31 AD Passover date of when Jesus was crucified, sacrificed, the resurrection, and so forth. Now, so let's, let's look a little bit here at the days of the week. We have uh, the 14th, which was uh, Tuesday night, to the day part of Wednesday. Now, remember, uh, in our Roman calendar and our Roman equations and modern days, we start the day uh, a little different than in God's day. At the beginning, remember, the evening and the morning were the first day. So God starts the evening at night time, at sundown. And then the next day is the day part following. So that day is not as we do, you know, uh, today in the calendar difference. Or as some say, the day starts at 6 o'clock. No, the day starts at sundown, the evening. And then the next day is a, is a parallel day. So Tuesday night, Wednesday. So they uh, kept the Passover Tuesday night in their home. And uh, then Wednesday, they uh, began to uh, collect and depart. Now, there's a little confusion because some say, well, on the 13th day, they uh, went out and spoiled the Egyptians and uh, they borrowed of them things that they owed them and they gave them because they were happy to go. No, they weren't ready to go till the firstborn of all the cattle and the Egyptians were killed that night on the Passover night when the death angel passed over, protected Israel, but killed the Egyptian firstborn. And so they were ready for him to go. So they were happy on the day part of uh, Wednesday to give them uh, some gold and silver and money and what they owed them and be gone, get out of here. So then uh, Thursday, Frightwell, beginning that night they traveled, uh, Wednesday night uh, on the uh, 14th, the beginning of the 15th up to Sukkoth. Now, let me say this. They left Sukkoth and then they went to Etham. They left Etham and they went to Piha. Hiroth, as we heard about that earlier. They were there three days. They camped in Baal-Zephon, uh, Migdal, and then they came to the Red Sea and the crossing of the Red Sea. Now, the days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they came up, um, pardon me, they left Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and they come up to Wednesday when they crossed Tuesday night when God blew the east wind. Now, let me say this. There are some teach that the Israelites left Egypt and they went all the way down, several hundred miles to the Gulf of Aqaba. And they went south, crossed the Gulf of Aqaba, and wandered around in the wilderness of the Arabian Peninsula. And then went hundreds of miles north. We know traditionally, uh, scripturally, 
that they went east from Egypt because God blew an east wind. Remember, he blew that east wind and he parted the Red Sea and uh, the uh, Israelites went over on dry land and the Egyptians then came following and the waters crushed in and drowned all of them. So we know that. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. You know that the Israelites, as they left, a lot of things happened and a lot of occasions that were going on as they crossed the Red Sea. So let's think about some of the things that uh, is, uh, is occurring at this time frame. They left Egypt. They went out with a high hand. The pillar of fire and cloud was given to them those first couple of days as that week as they progressed. So they had the pillar of fire and the cloud to go before them. And then it switched and it came behind them to be a rear guard and to be protection. So they had at nighttime the pillar of fire to give light and warmth over the camp for 40 years. And then they had the cloud that would give shade and shelter and uh, whatever uh, for them for direction as they traveled. Sometimes daytime, sometimes into the evening, sometimes at night. So you've got to think back then they couldn't jump in their uh, wreck vehicle or their car. They would have to pack up their tents, have to erect them as those campers know. It takes a little time to set up your tent, tear it down load up your donkey, camel, or whatever they had, transportation to load that stuff on, the carts and, uh, and buggies that they pushed. and They had all kinds of, uh, of uh, equipment to help them. You're talking about the city the size of Tulsa plus the surrounding communities, maybe eastern Oklahoma, a couple of million people. This wasn't a ragtag, confused, conglomerate mess. It was orderly. And it was organized as they came up to. Now, I, we've come up to the Red Sea. We're going to be talking about that uh, a little later. Now, I will say this also in relationship, although it doesn't come up till 40 years later, is the wave sheaf offering. The wave sheaf offering signifies, we know, the resurrected Jesus. The wave sheaf offering was given after, not during the tabernacle, during the days of the... Uh, uh, wilderness journeys because they didn't have agriculture, they didn't have wheat, they didn't have corn, they didn't own their land. And remember God's instruction was in 1451, when you go into the land and you harvest, then you bring the first of the wave sheaf. And that was on Sunday during the days of unleavened bread after the Sabbath. And then you count to Pentecost with the, with the Sabbath and with the wave sheaf. There's two ways to count to Pentecost till you come up to Sunday. Then you have, if you have the calendar correctly, we'll talk about that a little later, then you can calculate the days of the year, the holy days, the rest of the year. Now some do it backwards from trumpets and they work back, but once you start establishing the sequence of the holy days, they fit together. And they're all related. And we have lessons that on this seventh day of unleavened bread, as we sit here and as you're listening to me and you're thinking of a lot of things that are occurring during this time of uh, Exodus. So they had, uh, um, let's see, uh, we'll come up to this a little later. Let me, let me uh, skip part of this. Uh, <clears throat> another instruction that they have, and we're going to have a reading in just a few minutes here by Barnabas Grayson, but we're told to remember 
all the way of the trek that they made. Their stages. Now, we're not going to read in, in Numbers 33 all those stages. We have in Western movies, you know, we have uh, stagecoach stops and stage stops, but that means journeys. Sometimes they went from stage to stage, and those 42 journeys in those 40 years, very difficult to pronounce those, so I didn't impose on Barnabas to read Numbers, the 33rd chapter. But uh, just going on here from my notes, uh, during those treks and stages for the next 40 years, and also during the, those seven days of unleavened bread, they had incidents that occurred, good and bad. After leaving Egypt and going into the wilderness on the seventh day, they had also a mixed multitude that went with them. This was good and bad. Sometimes they caused troubles, sometimes they didn't. Converted, unconverted. We've got to think about what God wants us to learn from the seventh day of unleavened bread and the experiences as we remember those ways. Now, at this time, Barnabas, if you will read from the list, let's just listen to his reading. He's not, we're not going to expound each one of these, but uh, he has a number of, of things to read of the list of things that occurred during those 40 years. Those would be those significant events. Yes, three pages. <laughs> Deliverance from bondage, crossing the Red Sea, given gold and silver, Ten Commandments on stone, laws, statutes, judgments, tabernacle and furnishings, sacrifices and offerings, animals for sacrifices, high priest attire, Joshua promoted, spirit poured out on 70, the Levitical priests, Moses wrote five books, Old Covenant ratified, Egypt, Egyptians destroyed, Spies report, holy anointing oil, holy water of separation, ashes of red heifer, holy days established, Sabbath day enforced, blessings on 12 tribes, end time prophecies, miracles, fire of the Lord, Moses' song, Moses' fast 40 days, many promises, tithing laws, brass serpent, prayers, Miriam's death, Aaron's death, Moses' death, God speaks to all, jubilee introduced, land Sabbath introduced, silver trumpets, shofar horns, national flags or standards, 42 stations in 40 years, mountains, valleys, rivers, brooks, deserts, wells, 48 cities of Levites introduced, six cities of refuge introduced. Another page. Keep reading. Wilderness miracles, Red Sea crossing, Pharaoh and army destroyed. Pillar of fire, pillar of the cloud, wind, quails, manna, water from rock, victory in war, earthquakes, volcanoes, mountains on fire. Delivered in war, Moses' hands. Delivered from fiery serpents, clothes, shoes not worn out. No feeble folks, 40 years. Aaron's rod that budded, Moses' rod. Mara, tree turned bitter to sweet. Urim and Thummim. Lots, earthquakes, Dathan and Abiram, dark light cloud, God's face in cloud, fire consumes offering, Balaam's donkey speaks, Balaam's three curses turn to blessings, crossing river Jordan, healing, 
and leprosy. The wilderness sins, unbelief, lack of faith, trusted not, afraid, rebellion, murmuring, complaining, disobedience, rejected God's nearness, lust, sexual sins, adultery, idolatry, tempting God, provoked God, limited God, flattered God, remembered him not, lying, Sabbath-breaking, spake against him, turned back in hearts to Egypt, presumptuous, sinned. Remember all the way, Deuteronomy 8, 2. The wilderness journeys of Israel. Thank you. Barnabas will be doing some other things later. Now, to continue on, we see also the significance of the number seven. Now, we know without spending a lot of time on this that the number seven has great significance to us for completion, perfection. So the seven days of unleavened bread is a phase, a composite, where God expects perfection, completion in that phase, but then also it's connected to and advances and leads into other experiences. So God is completely perfect in his work of bringing us out of sin and he expects us to reciprocate and to overcome and to grow and to advance. But he knows also that we need a lot of other experiences. Now some good, some bad. And his involvement and our involvement. And so a partnership and we work together, don't we? Till we finally, at that time of ultimate perfection, cross over into the promised land. And all that that signifies to us in parallels and types. So... We have uh, the number seven that give us the uh, times in the scriptures of uh, completion and perfection and a type of the beginning phase of God's salvation and plan for mankind. We have during the days of 11 bread the resurrection portrayed of Jesus, the resurrected saint. Our calling and separation from Egypt and sin. Our commitment to his way and his deliverance in types. We have that... Uh, and we are repeating some things that we have already heard during this uh, time of unleavened bread and some things that I went over my notes and I changed and I added to and I corrected and I deleted. And my wife sometimes says, how can you read that, you know? Because it gets a little confusing after a while and you just have to kind of leave it and then come back and, and say with uh, the notes that I have here. Yet, there's more. And these details of these other holy days and other experiences are covered later. Not today. You can be thankful for that. But we have here portrayed, listen, the connection between unleavened bread and then the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. The return of Christ and the first resurrection. Setting up his kingdom. The putting away of evil. Putting away of sin and the atonement of man with God, and the atonement. Then we have the millennium portrayed. And we have the last great day, the second resurrection portrayed in the holy days that come during the rest of the year. And then we know when it's all completed and finished, God comes down, dwells with us, we dwell with him forever. And so all that are left are holy, righteous, spirit, sons of God, because all of the evil, all of the negatives, 
All of the sin is put away, it is dead, it is gone, and it will never be brought up again. What a glorious, wonderful day that the seven days of unleavened bread in a small picture convey to us greater truths as we advance and grow and look forward to and expect all of these wonderful things and, unfortunately, some of the bad things that are going to uh, happen in life. So, beyond the seventh day of unleavened bread, we see much more about events, miracles, trouble, blessings, hardship, correction, instruction, protection, divine providence, deliverance, and continuing on, unfortunately, during those times after the uh, seven days of unleavened bread, they thirsted for water, and God gave them water. They hungered, and he gave them manna. They were attacked, and he defended them and protected them. They learned some of the organizational things that were required of them. As they went out, not a rabble in confusion, but just think about it. They went out, as it says, harnessed. That means they went out like a military order. They went out armed. They had armies. They had preparation. They had arms with them to defend themselves when it was necessary. When they didn't look to God for protection. And when they had to work with him in uh, companionship and a partnership. And it says that he healed them all, even in their sickness. He didn't put the sickness like they had in Egypt on them, but he healed them. And we'll see a little more about that a little later. But he bore along with them. He was patient. Yet, at times, he disciplined them in love. And a wonderful thing that he did was he gave them a systematic, orderly way of worship by the tabernacle construction. In the second year, when he raised up the tabernacle, for 38 years, they had that orderly camp surrounded. The order of the different tribes on each side. We won't go into all of that. You know that. You know the, the, the uh, fire and the pillar of uh, God, that uh, pillar of fire and the cloudy uh, cloud that was over the camp during the night and the day and all the order and all of the regimentation that they had. What a wonderful thing that God did for our ancient forebears as they came out of Egypt. Not only that, listen, he revealed himself as the rock, as the Holy One of Israel, the Lord God, their Redeemer, the Most High. And we interpret uh, the eternal from the Lord God as the, our English, the eternal. And we use that so often and so frequently. Now, briefly, I'm going to talk about the Holy Day calendar. I'm not going to expound it. I'm not going to explain all of that. We know in our Julian or our Gregorian calendar that there are some periodic adjustments leap year, February 29, you know. We understand and we accept some adjustments in the calendar because it's based on a solar year. God's holy days is a lunar calendar of 354 days 
tied into and connected to 365 and a quarter days of a solar calendar. So periodically there has to be some adjustments for those 11 days or after two or three years, you know, after a few years, Passover will be back in up into the winter, then the fall, then the summer, then it'd come around uh, after quite a few years, it'd come around again. So there has to be some adjustments. So here's the thing. We have to look, and I know the Bible cautions us about putting our trust in man, but also we have to look to uh, qualified leaders. Now, l l let me talk, uh, just say something about this just briefly. Because I know we've, we've talked a little bit here about leadership and the people. I, I was just thinking about this. Um, you know, in all organizations, nations, businesses, social, church, there are bad leaders and bad people. That's bad. There are bad leaders and good people. There are good leaders and good people. And there's good leaders and bad people. So we have this mix. Now, in all of this, whatever the situation is, whatever bad government or good government or bad people or good people, we individually, separately, have an accountability and a responsibility to God. I think that fits in with what, what you were saying. Whatever the people are doing, we're not just people pleasers or leader peoples. Pleasers. <laughs> but God pleasers. And we are in everything we do as we strive to overcome and grow, seek to have His approval and His blessing on our life. Now, Our focus, as I said, is basically here today on the seven days of unleavened bread, the 21st, which is the seventh day of unleavened bread. And so there are a number of references in the Psalms. I'm not going to read those. There are a number of references in other books, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, we could read and spend a lot of time just expounding some of those things that Barnabas read. Now, I'm going to ask him to do another reading, and he's going to read this time from Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, verse 1 through 20. You got that, Barnabas? Okay, so you read, and I'll sit down. Chapter 8, verse 1. All the commandments which I command you this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these forty years in the wilderness to humble you and to prove you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or no. And he humbled you, and suffered you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. Your raiment waxed not old upon you, neither did your foot swell these forty years. 
You shall also consider in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God brings you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness. You shall not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you may dig brass. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you forget not the Lord your God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command you this day. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. Then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and droughts, where there was no water, who brought you forth water out of the rock of Flint, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers knew not, that he might humble you, and that he might prove you to do you good at the latter end. And you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto the fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if you do at all forget the Lord your God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before your face, so shall you perish, because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. Now, We'll return to those thrilling days of yesteryear, as some of us remember the uh, radio programs of ancient times. But uh, we'll uh, say it in modern, we'll go back to the seventh day of unleavened bread. And the crossing of the Red Sea, that Tuesday night, Wednesday period of time. We heard earlier how Egypt, as they left, and they turned south and they went down along the Red Sea and they were hemmed in by the mountains, Pihaharoth to the west and the Red Sea to the east and how the Egyptians and the uh, armies of the pharaohs and all their chariots were right behind, him, behind them, chasing them and how God began to blow that east wind and, and just think about this, you got, you've got a couple of million people, herds and flocks and all, they didn't cross in some little old narrow creek. They had to have maybe a mile or two wide so they could get across there in a few hours. Just think of that. Several million people crossing in a little old narrow way? No. A little tunnel? No. It had to be an enormous wide 
stretch. And they say, uh, archaeologists have discovered a berm, a, a raised level under the, in the approximate area there of where they think the crossing could have been, where they was a higher area and maybe not as deep. But regardless, you know, the fiery uh, pillar and the cloud that was given to them a few days before that was leading them, and it was light on the east side, and it was dark over here, and the Egyptians, remember, said, we see the face of God in the cloud. They didn't see the man in the moon, because there's a full moon at that time, just waning a little bit after uh, Passover, first days of unleavened bread, it begins to wane a little bit uh, after a few days, because the full moon is a, usually around three days, and then it begins to wane down a little, so they had a pretty bright moon, but it was dark where the Egyptians were, but they saw the face of God. And so God blew that east wind in that wide trek of land and dried it out so they could go across. And then right behind them, then the waters crushed in when Pharaoh went in with his armies. And uh, they were all destroyed there. And there's evidence to this day of uh, chariots and chariot wheels and iron and things in the Red Sea. Supposedly evidence of uh, some great trauma that happened. And it could have been different times in the past when a chariot got caught in the Red Sea or whatever. Uh, we don't know. Archaeologists uh, can verify some of these things for us. But a few uh, Sabbaths ago, Ron Wilhoit mm -hmm. in Tulsa was uh, covering a message. And he mentioned how when uh, the uh, Israelites were there at the Red Sea just before the crossing, how Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And how he was mentioning how it's, it's sometimes nice and quiet to listen, to think about, to see God, to have that period of quietness. But the second part of the message, another part of that message, is that God told Moses, speak unto the children of Israel and tell them to go forward. So they had to advance in an impossible situation, quietly, peacefully, thinking and trusting in God, but going forward in faith as they crossed the Red Sea. Now, at this time, uh, we're going to have a reading of what happened during the uh, Exodus there in the 15th chapter of Exodus. When we, when we say Exodus, uh, that's not a Hebrew word, but it comes from the Greek uh, and it means departure, goings out, and uh, we read that in Numbers 33 a lot of times when all those 42 stage stops, those 42 journeys, the goings forth, the departures, the coming and goings of the children of Israel during those uh, a total of 40 years. But in uh, Exodus, the 15th chapter, uh, did I ask you to read that, Barnabas? Okay, read Exodus uh, 15... 1 through 27. Now I'll come back for a few closing comments. And uh, I can put my wristwatch back on. And you're going to be able to leave a little early today. Uh, okay, Barnabas. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. And spake, saying... I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. 
The Lord is my strength and song, and he is become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host has he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, has dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the, thy, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as a heap and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind, the sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee? glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast uh, guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold of the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm they shall be as still as a stone. Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over, which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. And Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, If you will diligently... Hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear 
to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam where twelve wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Now, we've read about the crossing of the Red Sea. And there's more that we won't go into, how they went three days and on the Sabbath, Thursday, Friday, then Sabbath, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. We know the significance of, uh, in the future, three days and three nights, and they rested on the Sabbath at Mara, where the water was made sweet. And then they went on to Elam, where there were uh, uh, palm trees and the rest, and all the other experiences during the coming 40 years as they looked forward to going into the promised land. But to set this up just before this beautiful song of Moses that they sang and Miriam danced, we read the last verse of chapter 14. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servants, Moses. And we know as we track out the word feared in the Hebrew, we see it has a twofold meaning, sometimes depending on how it's used, whether it means with reverence and awe, or with terror, with fear. So they had reverence and they had respect and they had uh, awesomeness of fear before God. They might have had terror and fear in a physical sense toward the Egyptians and what they might could do to them, but they looked to God, they feared God, they trusted God. Just as we, in a song of triumph and victory, as we experience freedom, freedom from bondage, freedom from sin. And yet we know there's still constraints upon us as we look forward to advancing and growing into the kingdom of God. And so, brethren, in closing, this is some of the reasons why we are here today on this seventh day of Unleavened Bread. Everybody is uh, coming on up, and I think the choir is going to join us too, right? Yeah. I just wanted to uh, just thank a couple of folks. I'd like to thank Win Skelton for organizing this weekend, and for CGI for providing uh, everything that they have done, and I appreciate it, Win. Thank you very much. And then there's always the guy at the back of the room that uh, he makes us all heard and sometimes he makes us um, remember things that we otherwise would forget. And I know for me, I just really appreciate Brian Gaywith back there on the sound. Yeah, Brian. Brethren, if you would please rise for our closing selection today. Blessed be your name, after which David Hope... 